Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, Wildcats, and Red Raiders to Cocaine Willie. We have a big show lined up for you tonight with a massive win to review for the Cats against the Oklahoma Sooners. And we are welcoming in our friends who are all over social media, the Gambling Gauchos, to help out with a preview of this week's matchup against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I am your host, the Commish Bob Trollsby, and I'm joined today, as always, by my trusty co-hosts, the good chef Andre Napier and Fireball Matt Marchesini. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Are we ready to talk some smack after uh, after that purple storm that happened in Norman? All right, all right, all right. Doing great. How are we feeling? God, I'm still recovering. (laughs) Aren't we all? Aren't we all? I mean, Marchesini, you're probably jet lagged. Yeah, don't mention it. Yeah, it's been a... (laughs) (laughs) It was a long day yesterday. 19 hours. But, uh, cats, let's go. He's flying first class, baby. Just like them cats, baby. No. First class. <laughs> now the cats are in first class. I was basically in the the luggage compartment, you know, for for 19 hours. But it's uh, it's good to be back in the states for sure, and ready for this weekend, of course. I I don't doubt it one bit. Yeah, this weekend's going to be a fun one. Looking forward to to previewing that with the Gauchos. We've got a game to review, boys. Uh, I don't know where to start, but but I guess we can start with offense. I mean, Adrian Martinez, he threw for one touchdown. He ran for four. He took a bow. He led that team, and he had a combined 382 total yards. What do we think about Adrian's performance, especially given that those first three weeks, I mean, it was rough. We had a rough-looking offense. We were still able to put up 30 and 40 points against South Dakota and Mizzou, but at the same time, you had that two-lane game. And and in general, it didn't really look like he was totally in sync with the rest of the offense. It didn't seem like he was really in the game mentally in some cases. So I'm, I'm curious all his thoughts. What do we think about Adrian's performance? And do we think he's going to continue to put up numbers like he put up last weekend? And do we think he's going to continue to to ball out the way that he did last weekend? Well, I'll say this. I think it all kind of needs contextualized when it comes to Adrian Martinez's performance. Will we see, I think the question was, will we see what we saw in Norman week in and week out? I don't necessarily believe we'll get that performance, but we can guarantee that we won't see what we saw versus Tulane. That is an outlier that I don't think we'll ever see again it was just a perfect storm of we didn't need him in week one and two. So the, the thought of ultra conservative Adrian Martinez kind of could work and get us dubs, but we also did not play well as a team on assignments, blocking, running the ball, hitting the holes exactly where we needed to. And it kind of just all came together to make an ultra, very Megatron of the worst game you could possibly think of. And in all honesty, Adrian Martinez didn't play necessarily bad in that Tulane game. It was just situational football, and we were the worst. I I would love to see historically in modern K-State since Bill Snyder took over how bad that that third down percentage was in the history of K-State for the past 30 years. 
I, it would have to be near the top of the worst performances ever. But I don't think we're we're going to get Oklahoma Adrian Martinez every time. But that's definitely near the ceiling. I think he could have even played better. But I think we're going to get something near that more than we're going to get near Tulane. I would love to hear what Matt has to say about it. Well, I think it's weird because if you think about it in consecutive weeks, we basically saw the floor and the ceiling in in two games, right? Which is something thinking about past K-State seasons and quarterbacks, et cetera. It's very weird and it doesn't happen often where you're in a position where you have the quarterback having really their worst performance that they probably had in the season and potentially the best in consecutive weeks. Um, I would agree that this is the Adrian Martinez that I was expecting we were going to see game by game every week or, you know, close to that type of performance every week. Um, I, I was definitely shocked. Um, what I, I was going to say is, thankfully, I was not on co-hosting last week because I was going to be the biggest pessimist in the world and thinking that we did not have a chance to beat Oklahoma and Norman last week. And so it was still a pretty pessimistic show, <laughs> all things considered. I mean, I, you know, after everybody's predictions of K-State's going to win in a close one, blah, 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 I was going to be not even close to that. So um, I just didn't, you know, from what we've seen in the offense the past, you know, this first three weeks of the season, I didn't think we were going to have the firepower to even be in, in the same name. And that's the Adrian Martinez effect, a guy that has so much talent. And, you know, when you give him the opportunity with the football to be who he needs to be as a quarterback, this is what we saw against Oklahoma. And if we can consistently see that, um, not again, as kind of chef said, it doesn't have to be the ceiling of the Oklahoma game, but if we can get close to that on a game to game basis, we're going to be in every single football game this year, you know, the rest of the games this year. So um, I was really, I was really proud to see the way that he performed and showed from a talent perspective, you know, for the past four years at Nebraska, he was such a great player. And this is what we wanted to see him at K-State like. And it, it was really great to see him just perform to the expectations of what this fan base needed to see him. Um, it was it was it was incredible to watch. I, I think you bring up a great point, And I think Keegan said it well last week. We, we last week, we were talking with him a little bit about we want to cut Adrian Martinez loose. We want to see the Adrian Martinez that wasn't afraid to take risks. And I think he might have mistaken what we meant by that, because I think what we saw last week and what we meant by that were the same thing. But what Keegan thought was like, oh, he's going to be throwing the ball all over the place. He's going to be throwing interception risks all over all over the field. But in reality, we just wanted him to, to play with confidence at the end of the day. And that's what we saw last week. So I, I was excited to see that. And I hope that as far as the rest of the season, we've got eight games left. I just want to see that consistency of him having the confidence to make the right decisions, him and Colin Klein being in sync with each other to have the right situational play, calling the chef's point. And I think we played the game the way that Keegan thought we should have played the game, which is you know, not taking risks, but not being afraid to have those QB runs and, and those QB power type of type of plays 
mixed into the playbook. So I think I think that's a good point there. And and something to to also point, you know, in the in the first three games of the season, we didn't see a ton of pass plays in the eight to twelve yard range. You know, something that wasn't necessarily a check down to you know, a running back or somebody like that, you know, for three yards, we're seeing mid-range pass plays, which overall those add up into a drive and get you in a position to where you can get into the opposing team's territory. And it doesn't have to be a 45-yard chunk pass, but when you get those consistent, you know, 10-yard pass plays and you get the confidence to go to a tight end or a Malik Knowles and, and, you know, just make those those mid-range plays, those are the ones that build the confidence of being, okay, this is a team that, you know, we can drive down the end zone in two minutes and get to a position where we can score a touchdown. You know, that was the thing that I, I Adrian and, and getting Deuce Vaughn involved and, and seeing we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the receiving guys. But, you know, that was the thing that really impressed me on Saturday was just how we could effectively get those mid-range pass plays and, and, and see some success there. I love it. I love it. So moving on, you mentioned Deuce. Deuce Vaughn was second in rushing on the team behind Adrian Martinez with 116 total yards, and and he added yet another 100-plus yard rushing game to his resume. Uh, Do we think that we're going to see a similarly called game against Tech, or do we think that Deuce and DJ are going to carry more of the load from a rushing perspective than Adrian did last week in this in this coming week's matchup? And I'm I'm going to go ahead and invite Ace to the stage too because he's our he's our stats guru, and I love uh, I love the Aggieville Alley Cats and uh, their previews. So I'm going to invite Ace to the stage as well to chime in. Oh, I'll say this about Deuce Vaughn. He's ultra consistent, and he does what he needs to do to get the hitting yardage, basically. It's this inside zone, uh, split zone. You see Ben Sennett going across the formation, picking up that, that edge man, and he's kind of following Cooper Beebe most of the time. But he's the, when the offensive line is clicking and he's not getting touched for five yards, he's going to have a successful day no matter what. Now, when it comes to what we're going to see versus Texas Tech, they have a stingy run defense. They like to funnel everything into their middle linebacker. He cleans up a lot. He's he's very good. But you saw it versus what you saw versus Texas, Texas Tech. They kind of just kept feeding Bijan, and he hit he hit big runs. He hit that forty five yarder, but they kind of had everything bottled up. But it's all about they're not just going to battering ram like they did Bijan, and they, they even tried to get a little bit of Wildcat going like we saw last year versus Texas. They ran that Wildcat crazy, and they did the same thing. But Texas Tech held it in check. I think we're going to need to feed. Deuce Vaughn a little bit more on the edges. Get they have a a stud linebacker, and I think Ace brought it up on the Bosco's Boys show. They have a stud linebacker that that kind of prevents everything from getting outside. But if we can get a hat on him, I think Deuce can eat on the outside. And DJ Giddens, he showed up versus Oklahoma for his I think one carry, two carries, one carry. I mean, I know he had one for almost ten yards. And he's a salty back, and it's a nice change of pace. I think we're going to see a little bit less Adrian 
running the ball because I think they're going to respect that a little bit more. But I think that's going to open a lot of stuff up for Deuce and that RPO game. We got to look out for Phillip Brooks on that outside off of that RPO. Yeah, and just to kind of echo that a little bit, you know, the way that I I felt Deuce was extremely effective on Saturday and, um, you know, just getting some of those harder runs, you know, up five yards and above, you know, those are, again, key when trying to sustain a drive. And, you know, if we got to get him more touches based off of how the game is going to be played out, I mean, I think everybody – would agree that, you know, getting Deuce on the ball, he's going to have the ability to get what we need, um, or at least put us in a position, you know, with his talent to get where we need. Um, I, I'm very much of the opinion that if we call a game similar to Oklahoma and we can be effective in that nature, no matter the team that we play against, it's going to put us in a position in the fourth quarter that we're going to be in it at the end. And so, you know, I, I personally want to see, you know, Deuce in, in a similar capacity as we saw with Oklahoma. You know, we don't need to get him 35 carries a game, but enough to where, you know, if we need to, you know, just maintain that run pass efficiency um, in the offense, I think that's going to be, you know, what we need to do to win. Ace, I would love your input here. Yeah, so – in terms of how I think this running game is probably going to operate, yeah, Chef, you were right to mention Tyree Wilson. He's he's a in a lot of boards, he's a top five edge player in this upcoming draft, and a lot of it has to do with athletic, a lot of uh, athletic upside, it, but a lot of it has to do with how good he is in the run. Like, because if you just run to the opposite side of him, he'll run you down. So you always need to have a hat on him at all times. But I could actually see this being a big day rushing for both the running backs and Adrian Martinez, because outside of Tyree Wilson, their more traditional edge players kind of have a little bit of trouble filling, but their interior defensive line is is really good. But their biggest weakness, at least that I've seen, is just a little bit of their their quarterback contained just because of how fast they want their this entire defense is predicated off of speed and getting every bit of the offense a different look. So whenever they like whenever they just run upfield and they want to play fast, what they end up doing is sometimes they they overrun their contained lanes, which leaves a little bit of a, a little bit of a pocket for escape for the quarterback. So you know it, this running game could Neither answer would surprise me, but I'm really leaning towards this being a pretty good running day, and I'm leaning towards Deuce getting over 100 today. And he'll add that to his repertoire of of 100-plus rushing yard games. Chef, did you have something else to chime in on that? No, I was just going to say I think the dynamic of Deuce being a receiver, I think we're going to see a lot of – other people getting carries. I think we're, I think we learned from that two lane game that we can't just pound deuce up the gut and just work him to death in those first early, in those first early quarters and first early series. I think we, we want to extend him throughout the game. Let him, let him cook throughout the entire game. So Malik Knowles, I mean, think about this. What was the first play of the first, in the first game of the season? 
Malik Knowles, one touch, 75 yards. He hasn't had a rushing attempt since then. I don't think Phillip Brooks has a rushing attempt this season. We've we've sent Cade Warner on uh, sweeps across, but we never hand him the ball. We haven't really used the receivers in the running uh, dynamic yet this season. I think we're going to see a little bit more of that, spread the wealth a little bit in the rushing attempt. Make sure that these edge guys are paying attention. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of our rushing is on the outside and give some gaps for, for Deuce up the middle, if he if so be it. But I think Deuce is not going to get to 100 yards. I think he's going to have more receiving than he does rushing. But that's just that's just, just a stat, you know. We're just we're just do talking. You, do you still see him having more than 100 all-purpose yards then? Oh, absolutely. I think he's, okay, cool. he's, he's <laughs> great. He's the best running back that they've seen. I think Bijan is really really good, but they haven't seen anything to Deuce's. And Deuce likes playing against Texas Tech. Let's be honest. It will be a fun race to the finish, I think, between Bijan and, and Deuce as far as who's going to be the best running back in the in the Big 12 because both of them are putting up big numbers in every single one of these games. I think I think the last thing I want to touch on with the offense uh, is on the receiving side of things and also on the offensive line. But I think specifically on the receiving side, I alluded to it a couple of times on, on Bosco's voice, but Ben Sinnott, he led the team receiving yards with four receptions for 80 yards Philip Brooks led the team in total receptions with seven receptions for 56 yards. And then Malik Knowles came in third with four receptions for 52 yards and the only passing touchdown of the day. What do we think we're going to see from the receiving group and also the tight ends? Because we've seen them incorporated a little bit more with with some of the Ben Sinnott play there. And what do we think coming into this week we're going to see out of that room? I was getting nostalgic with the tight ends, uh, getting some catches in that OU game. Um, I, I think this offense gets to be its best when you can spread the field a little bit and have a bigger tight end in center of the field making catches like Ben did. Um, I, I really do think that the strength of this offense is when you can spread the field and it doesn't have necessarily have to be your receivers with Phillip or Malik Knowles or Cade, you know, but when you can get Ben or, you know, I, I remember in the beginning of the season, Sammy Wheeler for me was going to be a guy that I think he's going to have a big year, um, which we really haven't seen, but, you know, getting that tight end group involved uh, allows Adrian to be able to, you know, check down a little bit and get, you know, seven, eight yard pass. But we saw in that OU game that Ben Sennett had, you know, what was it, a 15 or 20 yard catch? Um, you know, I I do think if we can get the tight end group involved and as, a, as that second option or as an alternate option to go into what you would consider our number one receiver, probably in Malik, um, that's that's huge for the rest of the season. Um, so I we need to continue that, you know, with Ben Sinnott or, you know, if Sammy Wheeler does get involved a little bit more, or even Jack Stanine, um, that just having that that option is is huge for us. Yeah. Also, just blanket. real quick shout out to the shout out to the chat room for uh, all of the makeshift cuss words that we're seeing with the random different, you know, different characters that you can use there. Sorry, chef. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I had to oh, give no, a quick shout out to the chat, to the chat. 
I love seeing a little little Swedish fonts to get or whatever you want to call them to, to get the cuss words in the chat. But like Matt was saying, you know, a safety blanket it is what Adrian needs because, I mean, you don't want to necessarily always have to throw it out to the flats on these checkdowns. You want to get a guy just sitting eight yards in the middle of the field, just sitting there, big body, just somebody to throw it to when plays break down. So if they're spying Adrian on these quarterback scrambles, when he breaks contain in these pockets, somebody's sitting there right there for him to throw the ball to and not necessarily have to have him run for seven yards or however many yards he gets on these plays, because eventually teams are going to start having to spy Adrian because he's a wizard in that pocket when he to break contain and pick up first down. So You'd love to see Sammy Wheeler get involved. They try to look for him in the end zone for that Oklahoma game. It was a great play by the DB, or it would have been a touchdown. Sammy Wheeler, they're going to get him involved. It's just a matter of time. But Ben Sennett is a freak. Let's be honest. I mean, he's a humongous kid. When he gets his hands on the ball, he covers it up. There's no chance of fumble, and he is just going to run. There's no juke. He's just going to run. And it's, it's a beautiful sight to see whether they're in the receiving and, or they're blocking for Deuce or any of these other players. And we've been seeing Ben Sennett get split out wide. If we throw it out there, he's definitely going to be able to put a block on a corner or a safety out there in the flats to get these receivers open. And just it's it's all about team. It's all about who's going to step up and – Last week versus Oklahoma, it was basically everybody. I think the the main thing when it comes to how Ben Stinnett is going to play is it all depends entirely on what kind of coverage they're playing. The good news is that I think there's a matchup mismatch every single with every single coverage that they play. Because if they're going to play man coverage, they're probably going to have Marquise Waters on him. He's their their star defender. I think at least they're referring to him as as star. So, and he has a tendency to give up the inside, and that's where Ben Sinna is the best, is on in-breaking routes. If they're going to run a little bit more zone, that means the linebackers are going to be in that middle field, those hook zones. But we've gone over that they have a tendency, if you run play action at all, their first instinct is up, not back. So there's always going to be that little hole behind the linebackers. So Ben Sinna has the potential to be a true X factor in this game, especially if you... If you get Ben Sinnott and Deuce Vaughn both out wide, you're going to put them in so much conflict that I'm not sure. We can honestly probably force a timeout, too, if we needed to. But it's going to be a big game for both of them. Awesome. I love to hear it. I think the last thing that I want to touch on with offensive line or with offense is the offensive line. And and I think they were certainly better against Oklahoma than they were in the game against Tulane. The one thing I do want to note for the Texas Tech game that will play a role, I think, throughout throughout the rest of the season, but line gang is out indefinitely. They haven't put a timetable on it. It sounds like they're waiting on some tests with doctors and things, so we don't really know what it is. It doesn't sound like it might even be an injury so much as a, as a condition type of thing. But for all we know, what kind of concerns do we have about offensive line depth moving forward? Because I do think that's something that we need to keep our eye on. 
knowing that line gang is going to be out. We haven't rotated as many guys in, in some of the most, some of the most recent games, but do we think that's going to play a role moving forward? And, and do we have any concerns there? I mean, it screams concern when you lose, you've lost a second intricate part of the O-line. I mean, line gang was our best offensive line recruit we've had to date in a long time. He's, he's very, very versatile. So when you lose him and that, and I, I don't want to think about what this could be because obviously it's not an injury. It's something medical condition. And I hate to think about it. it just to me, it does. It screams mono for some reason. It just screams mono. Like he can't practice. He's out. You never, never. So he's Sam long. Darnold. That's what I'm. I'm thinking mono. This is this is what my brain goes to. If it was more of a heart condition, I don't think that would even get out. Like I don't even think they would even think about like saying that he has a medical condition. Like it just never really gets out. I think this is mono. This is what it screams to me. But I really hope it's Sam Darnold. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's. But it does hurt the offensive line depth. You, you want to see that rotation for the Oklahoma game. Uh, Del Forge got in the game, and he looked really, really good subbing in for Cooper BB that came, went out with cramps. You, you know Carver what you're going to get with Carver Willis. Once Carver Willis gets back up to a really good playing weight, he's a really good player. I mean, he played as a true freshman in that COVID season. He's a good player once he gets back and gets gets that weight back on him because I think he's rolling like 280 right now. If he gets back up to 300, I think he could do that, and he'll be a good player to sub back, sub in. But you're gonna you're gonna miss Andrew Line Gang that could play tackle. Kleiman said it in his presser that Cooper will be the swing tackle if something happens to either uh, Duff or. KT and will kick Del Forge down into that guard, but you just want to, you want these bodies back, but you know, I'll let somebody else talk about it, but they played really good versus that Oklahoma game. I mean, I don't necessarily have much to add. I think at the end of the day, when you have guys that are out, especially in a, uh, in a position like the offensive line that, is vital um, from a blocking perspective. It's it's concerning. Um, I do think we are in a position where we have quality guys in the reserve area to be able to keep us moving and chugging along in the Big 12 play. Um, but, but overall, it's always going to be a little bit concerning um, in that position group. I think Connor Riley, he – He's an exquisite coach. I'm using, I don't feel like I've used that word um, ever, but, you know, I think he's done a great job with these guys and getting this group together. Um, And so we're going to have guys come in that, you know, might need a little bit of work with each other, but I'm, I'm convinced we have the capability just with that depth to keep us moving. And, you know, especially in the next few weeks where we need really good play from that position group to, to get us some wins. Awesome. Well, I know we've only got about five more minutes left before we pivot over to defense and special teams. I think special teams wise, there's not a whole lot to say here other than there were no missed field goals 
and no missed extra points. Sentner's punts were all over 40 yards. You can't give enough credit to Chris Tennant for coming out of this game. Mr. Clutch, for him, the team, and the fans to be able to have that confidence in him restored is is huge for him. And I think it's huge for us to, to be able to know that going into some of these situations as we go into conference play, maybe it's not going to be this tight sphincter like, oh, shit, is he going to miss it type of situation. So I, I'm feeling a lot better about Chris Tennant. If anybody has notes on special teams, please chime in. Otherwise, let's pivot to defense. I know we want to keep it fairly brief, but overall, um, let's go ahead and just really quickly say the defense had 77 total tackles. That was led by Kobe, Kobe Savage with 11 total tackles. Julius Brents and Austin Moore both tied with uh, nine each, and they combined for a tackle for a loss. And then Austin Moore, I think, is quietly having one of the best seasons of any defensive player on the roster. Uh, what kind of notes do we have on the defense? And then I do want to pivot over to to Gambling Gauchos because they've got an interview coming up here in about 20 minutes. So let's go ahead and and uh, talk about defense real quick. Yeah, let's get it done. I mean, it, what can we say? I mean, they held Oklahoma throughout the game. They were they implemented their their game plan, that three man front gave them fits. King Phillips was kind of quiet. But, you know, when you're getting held every play, it's kind of hard. I'll let Matt get in there and, you know, get his thoughts on the defense. But we, we're we're a good defense. Don't let the numbers fool you. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the biggest reasons why last week I didn't think we were going to be as successful against OU was I have a ton of respect for Dylan, Dylan Gabriel and Mar, uh, Marvin Mims and, and from an offense perspective with Oklahoma. So I think last week's game against Oklahoma was the floor for this defense. We've seen the ceiling, I, I think, this year, especially against – Missouri. Um, and so I would like to think that as we move forward with this defense, we're going to have a consistent defense of, you know, we're going to give up some yards, but not a ton of points. I was really happy with how Julius Brents played Kobe Savage. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Oklahoma is a great team and defensively they gave us some fits, but you know, if they can continue for the first three games, you know, what they did um, on the field, um, moving into the rest of the Big 12 conference play, I I have a ton of confidence in this defense. Yeah, I mean, I would I want to hear what Ace got to say, because I think he, he's very good with the defensive numbers. And I want to hear what you got to say about that last touchdown. Do you think that's a garbage time touchdown? All right. So my biggest takeaway was the entire point of the Oklahoma offense is to make no matter what choice you make, you're wrong. And we actually handled that very well. And to answer your question, Chef, yes, the Dylan Gabriel touchdown was in garbage time. And I was tempted to make a gif a la the Adrian Martinez gif. That's just like Dylan Gabriel is padding his stats. But, you know, it, it was an awesome defensive performance. And there's not much else I can say from that, especially given how the Oklahoma offense loves to operate and make everyone wrong. And we were right more often than wrong. I am here for it. Awesome. Well, I will go ahead. We're going to throw it over to gambling gauchos. So first off y'all are all over social media. You're putting out lists, you're making out jokes. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about your connection to Texas tech and what kind of stuff you're doing outside of the Twitter sphere. Cool. Well, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm the one who hopped in y'all's spaces um, earlier this summer when y'all were on ColorCast. And my co-host Rob is with me. Rob, say hi to the Kansas State fans. Hi, Kansas State fans. <laughs> What's up, Rob? Hi, Rob. 
We, uh, so yeah, we started this podcast right before last football season. So we've been going a little more than a year and that, you know, there's a bunch of Texas tech podcasts out there and Rob and I, um, you know, always kind of were interested in betting lines and spreads and totals and making picks and all that. So we kind of made a new podcast about that and wanted to branch out and cover the entire big 12, especially when some of this conference realignment stuff blew up and kind of felt a stronger bond with the hateful eight than we did previously. And so uh, it's been cool getting to know other fan bases from around the big 12, especially K state and Iowa state, um, you know, just some really cool Twitter fan base. So yeah, we have a good time screwing around on Twitter and uh, doing a few podcasts and spaces here and there as well. Well, you know, I mean, that's awesome. I, I listen to you guys all the time. You guys have a good podcast. You guys are killing on Twitter. But, uh, you know, let's get into Texas Tech. You know, a lot's been happening in Lubbock this offseason. You got a coaching change. Joey McGuire, high school legend. He's coming in. Top five recruiting class at one point in this 2023 class. I mean, it's still, you know, hover around that top 25. That's I mean, that's pretty awesome. I would I would kill for a top 25 class. Uh, you know, you got the the cactuses going on with TCU. That's weird. I don't know what's happening. But uh, and Mahomes, that's a case. We're all Casey. Most of us, I think, maybe maybe a couple Bronco fans in here, but a lot of Casey Chiefs fans in here. Mahomes going in the ring of honor. Um, tell us about this season. You know, you had some ups, you've had some downs. Played really good teams. I think you're on four consecutive top twenty-five teams. What's going on in Lubbock? Yeah, it's really important so far that Joey is undefeated at home. That's been such a, a bugaboo around here that you haven't been winning your home games. Um, so I think he's bought a lot of goodwill going beating Houston A and then beating Texas at home. I think there's a lot of uh, cachet that he has right now, especially with the recruiting. And that class this summer was top two, and it wasn't two for a while. Uh, but, again, that was really early in all you can do at that point is just kind of brag about it. It doesn't mean anything until it's over, but um, the recruiting is better than it's been in a decade plus, maybe ever. Uh, the, the hype around it is, is better than it's been in a decade plus. Uh, you're three and one, which you've been several times. It's more of a struggle to finish a season than start a season here at Texas tech. Um, but I do think that things, the tide is changing maybe with, with the character of the team and some tough wins you've had the last couple of times. And what you struggle with here in Lubbock for so long is not having an identity. Leach had an identity because he was crazy. And like you were the crazy team in Lubbock. And that was the identity. Spike had a strong identity and team, the, the coach before Mike Leach. And I think Joey finally has brought that back and, it's not just the team that has it. It's the whole city. It seems like, because you're leaning into being West Texas and that's the, the cactus thing you referenced. So I, I do think that things are changing, but I don't know if that's going to equal seven, eight, nine wins in year one. Yeah, I think that's fair. And um, you know, the Joey McGuire hire just for me, I thought this was a great hire for Texas tech. I will start with that. Um, I, I'm also someone uh, that, you know, from a quarterback position at Texas Tech, you have a great quarterback in Donovan Smith. You know, we've been able to see him the past few weeks really shine um, and and do his thing. Um, I was also someone that thought Tyler Show, uh, show um, you know, coming from Oregon, 
you know, was going to be a really good quarterback in the Big 12 and, of course, still has the capability to do that. Um, I know he's been injured. Um, last year got injured. This year he's been injured. He's still a few weeks away. Um, you know, looking towards the future and, you know, what's your level of confidence um, and, you know, Donovan Smith, um, especially coming into the K-State game. And then when Tyler's show returns, you know, do you think Donovan Smith's going to continue to be the starter or, you know, you think they're going to switch back and uh, start Tyler moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say right now that that the answer to that question is sort of hanging in the balance. I think Donovan can earn the job outright over the next two weeks before the bye week. But I also think if if Tech goes 0-2 and his performance isn't very inspiring, I do think Shuck was the pretty clear winner of that quarterback battle coming into the season. So if he is healthy after the bye, I think he, he'll likely be reinstated as a starter. Uh, but at this point, you know, even though Shuck is older than Donovan, they've got pretty much the same number of career starts against Power 5 competition. Um, Shuck was a starter for one year at Oregon, but it was the COVID year. So I think he only had like six or seven starts. And then his only Power 5 start at Tech, he got injured in the first quarter. He played two or three drives and then was done. Um, I, so, yeah, I do think he has probably a better command of the offense. But, you know, it gets to that point, okay, if, if Donovan is – if he gets us to four and two with a road win over one of – K-State, Oklahoma State, and already notching wins over Houston and Texas, who were both ranked. You know, even though he's not terribly experienced, he's kind of seen some things for for a guy that young and with with that few starts. You know, he on the road against NC State, who was a top 16 team when we played them, they're top 10 now. He played most of the second half in Norman last year, played and won a bowl game at a neutral site. Uh, had to face that Jim Knowles defense at Oklahoma State last year. Baylor and Waco last year, they were a top 10 team, so you know, it's not like his six or seven career starts are like, you know, a couple group of five teams and a bunch of home starts. You know, he kind of has been thrown into the fire, and, and sometimes that's the best way to, to gain experience and, and uh, get ahead of the learning curve quicker than usual. So, anyway, long story short, I think that right now the answer to your question hangs in the balance as far as who's going to be the starter when Shuck is healthy. I think Donovan has certainly played his way into being in the conversation of being the starter if he can – finish the job, so to speak, over these next two weeks while Shuck is out. But his his struggles are um, kind of processing the defense, making good decisions, turnovers. So if those problems persist this weekend and against Oklahoma State, I think that Shuck will probably be the guy coming back from the bye week. So you, you mentioned we, we talked about quarterback health a little bit. Going back to last week and putting the rivalry and some of the bad blood against Texas aside, how big is the win from – Texas Tech's perspective against Texas from an objective perspective, knowing that they were down there starting quarterback as well with, with Quinn Ewers being down and Hudson Card essentially being kind of a hobbled quarterback at this point, starting right now and Texas being ranked around the 20 to 25 mark. I think they were 22nd in the country, if I'm not mistaken, going into that game last week, how big is that win from an objective perspective when you put the rivalry and some of the subjectivity to the side? I mean, objectively, it's a good win because it's a conference opponent and they were right. Um, and again, I go back to the the idea of winning home games. That's something that Kansas State's been very good at. Iowa State's been very good at. Uh, Baylor's been very good at. Texas Tech has been awful at. So winning a home game, coming back from down 10, 
I think objectively is a good thing to learn how to do um, because you'll be down by 10 again this year, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I think, I think objectively it's a good win. And depending on who you talk to in the offseason, Hudson Card was the starter anyways, right? Until the boosters got involved. So uh, I, I do think that beating Texas, and it's hard to take out that rivalry aspect. Um, beating Texas is always fun and good. Uh, but after the game, Joey McGuire, he clipped the audio uh, in the post game, in the, not, not the post game presser, but in the locker room. He says, the reporter just asked me, uh, what what I thought about beating Texas, how big was that? I don't care about beating Texas. I care about being 1-0 in the Big 12. So inside the locker room, you might not have as much of that. But outside the locker room, it's hard to separate Texas and not Texas and big game or not big game. Uh, but again, I, I think moving forward from the Texas game, uh, you lose a lot if you don't win one of these next two. Uh, on the road, because then you would be, you know, zero and three on the road if you win a, or if you lose the next two, and then it's like, oh well, can he win on the road? Like, sure, he can beat Texas at home, uh, but can he win on the road? And that's just more questions you don't want going into the bye. And again, the quarterback conversation looming for the bye week as well. Um, but I don't want to cheapen the win for what it was because it was a big win for Texas Tech and for Joey McGuire. Yeah, and it does it does kind of fall back into a trend with with Texas specifically where we've seen them in those second halves going back to last year with Sark, those second half collapses where they've just totally shot the bed in the second half for whatever it's worth. So, um, I you know it was a it was a great win for Texas Tech last week. I want to go over to Chef now to to ask you a couple questions as far as the X's and O's are concerned. Yeah, and I mean I'm I'm very interested in this team. It it's been a gambit, so to speak, of what we've seen from Texas Tech. Um, they've they've had games where they've controlled the ball. And I, I'm speaking mostly offense. I would really love to hear what you guys have to say on defense, but I kind of want to hear what you have to say on offense first, the X's and O's of it. They, they go for it a ton on fucking fourth down, a ton. And, you know, they, they had Texas out there for – a hundred plays and they're running I, from what I'm seeing the layman, you know, I'm just, I'm just watching the game from afar. I don't know all these players names, but they're dinking and dunking miles miles. I think it's price. I think it's miles price, but he's, yeah. he's, he's running out of the slot. He's, he's getting thrown to a hundred times a game. He's a really good player. What are, what are the strategies of this team, especially being, run by Donovan Smith. What are what are the strategies that this team's going to implement, especially going against K-State? Yeah, there were some extremely harsh realities to be acknowledged after the game against Houston. Um, they had a defensive end named Parrish who set the American Athletic Conference record for single-game sacks with four and a half. Um, the offensive line is definitely, I think, the weakest position group, offense or defense. Uh, you don't have a ton of time in the pocket, and so they've had to get creative with, um, you know, chop blocks, getting the ball out quickly, um, a lot of short and intermediate game. I mean, you just don't have the personnel between the offensive line and lack of speed at receiver to to push the ball down the field very much. Uh, now, we do have some big body wide receivers. There's like four guys that rotate on the outside. They're all 6'4", 6'5", so they can, they can jockey for position and win battles that way, but they're not – there's nobody on this roster that's going to burn anybody deep. Um and so, yeah, I think you've seen the offense evolve both with the quarterback injury and sort of 
playing to the strengths and weaknesses of the personnel. So the Texas game was a ton of short throws. You ran the ball even when it wasn't going very well, but it was good enough to keep you from falling behind the sticks. And yeah, you referenced going for it on fourth down a lot. You know, a lot of that was, it wasn't sexy. You run the ball good enough, you know, second and seven isn't sexy, but it's enough to give you a shot on third and fourth down. And so, so something that we saw in the Texas game that was kind of new was the increase in target share for Miles Price. A lot of people thought he was our best receiver coming into the season, and I still think that, but his target volume just wasn't there earlier. Um, a lot more targets to the tight ends as well, and the tight ends are huge. Mason Tharp is six foot nine, Baylor Cup is six foot seven. So there's a lot more to the the slot receiver and the tight end positions in the Texas game. Um, I wish we could run the ball better because I think we would really lean on that if we could, but it's just difficult for the offensive line to get a push. Um, defensively, I think the defensive line and really the entire front seven is is very stout, but especially the defensive line. Um, PFF, I know a lot of people have mixed feelings on their ranking system, but uh, we've got three of the top eight rated uh, defensive linemen in the Big 12. Jalen Hutchings, Tony Bradford, and Philip Bleedy, they kind of rotate at the two inside spots. Tyree Wilson coming off the edge has been graded as a first-round draft pick by some analysts and scouts. And so they've been they've been doing a great job stuffing the run against nearly everybody. Good job getting to the quarterback so far. They need to finish some of those plays in the backfield. Um, but, like, you look at Texas and B. John Robinson, and, I, and I've always thought he and Deuce Vaughn are, you know, probably two of the three or four best running backs in the entire country. Bijan ran for a 40-yard touchdown. It was a great play by him. But besides that, you know, you pretty much minimize him to the extent that it is possible. And so I'll be curious to see how they do against Deuce Vaughn uh, this Saturday. But, yeah, overall the defense has been really stout. And even if you just look at some of the final scores and box scores, it can be misleading. You know, the Houston game was, I think, 33-30 to 30 final score, but it was 20-20 to 20 before overtime. And um, about half of Houston's points were gifted to them on – there's a pick six, there's a interception return into field goal territory – same story at NC State, you know, tough game on the road. They scored 27. There's another pick six, a muffed punt that they fielded at their own – or they got in, in at our 12-yard line. So a lot of times, you know, the defense has been bowing up even though they're continuously being put in bad field position. So if we can really just minimize the turnovers and even even if you're not scoring on a drive, if you can flip the field position, the defense so far has been really stellar. Um, and I, it starts up front. They stop the run and kind of – force you to be one dimensional a little bit. And then the defensive secondary has done a good job as well. Um, they've gotten beat a couple times on some busted coverages, but really all in all, especially relative to where this defense has been over the years, uh, very few complaints on that side of the ball. And you listed, I, I don't want to cut you off, Matt, cause I know you're going to, you've got some questions too, but I, you, you listed some names off and I'm going to keep my eye out on those, but I remember watching that NC state game there was a gruesome injury. I, I, I was he a key player? And do you guys are you guys missing anybody? Because I'm listening to Joey McGuire his press conference. It sounds like you guys are kind of getting back to full health. Yeah, that was Bryce Ramirez. Um, that was his first start. I think he was growing into a key player, but uh, that particular position is pretty thin. So any player is a key player there, but no, he he wasn't like a long time starter or anything or. A, a big time piece. Now I, I think that hurt the team in Raleigh because that, that kind of injury, you just kind of are feeling it the rest of the game. Um, otherwise you had an offensive lineman come back West and right last week. 
Uh, Tyler Shuck is a big injury, but beyond that, uh, knock on wood, uh, the second, third tight end was out last week. He'll be back. Um, I don't know that there's any other injury that Dimitri Moore at linebacker. He's kind of a a depth piece. Uh, He's not a starter, but he did get a significant number of snaps. I think he's questionable this week. But, yeah, between him and Ramirez, you're definitely thin at linebacker against Texas. If if Dimitri Moore can come back, it sort of solidifies that depth some. But, I mean, all in all, for middle of the college football season, I think you're doing okay injury-wise. Yeah, that's good. Um, going into uh, the game on Saturday, we obviously know both teams, um, you know, playing a rival – who happens to be in the top 25 last Saturday and getting victories. Are you anticipating a, a hangover type of game for K-State and Texas Tech? Or, you know, do you think it's really going to be, a, you know, both teams are going to be at their best on Saturday? I really don't think so. I mean, I think in a vacuum, yeah, we have one team coming off a top 10 win in Norman, the other team coming off a win over their in-state rival the last time they played him in Lubbock. But I think both Kleiman and McGuire, you know, we, we have a smaller sample size with McGuire, but I think both coaches are like big culture guys. And you know, look, you don't you don't lose the Tulane at home and then go into Norman seven days later and win unless you're able to hit that reset button and get everybody's minds right. So I'm definitely not worried about it from K-State's side. I don't think I'm worried about it from Texas Tech's side because I think Joey is sincere when he says, you know, it just means we're 1-0 in Big 12 play. And look, that was a big bounce back win for us. The NC State loss was ugly. I mean, it wasn't a blowout. It was a competitive game, but you didn't play well on offense. And, you know, you turn around seven days later, you clean up the mistakes, you clean up the turnovers, you score the most points you've scored against an FBS opponent in in regulation this season and and get a huge win because of it. So um, I I would be a little bit disappointed and a little bit surprised if there seems like there's that hangover effect that you're alluding to after a big win. I think I know Bob's got some stuff he wants to get into just a second, but Joey McGuire, Chris Kleiman, I think we're, they're from the same cloth. They both, and it's so weird because you listen to the, both their press conferences, it's both the 24 hour rule. And it's the, they, I, I'm sure every coach in America says that, but it's just the way they both said it. It's kind of eerie how similar those coaches are. And I think Joey McGuire is going to have, really good success in Texas Tech. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Gauchos, both of you, give us your official score prediction, then we'll we'll rotate through the rest of our crew here. And then anybody who's in the gallery, feel free to invite yourself to speak. We want to get you on for your official score prediction, and then we'll do our guys talking ball segment. So, Gauchos, hit us with your prediction. We haven't talked about this yet, so I'm being put on the spot a little bit. Um, I anticipate – a fairly, you know, low score and ugly type game. I don't think either offense um, is just going to really have things rolling. So give me, and I think Kansas State will win a competitive game. Give me something like 31 to 24, Kansas State. So I think Tech will cover, but Kansas State wins. We all win then. We all win then. I love it. I love it. Well, Gouches, I know, I know that y'all have to go. Um, so we'll let you get to your interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome to have you on here and, and spitting some truth about, about tech this year. Uh, appreciate having you on and we'll look forward to having you on in the future. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. And I hope y'all win every game besides Saturday this season. Thanks buddy. You guys are the best. See y'all later.
Awesome. Chef, what are you predicting for this weekend? Man, I'm not – I don't feel as nervous as I did about the Oklahoma game, and I'm a little more nervous than I was about the two-lane game. So I think we're going to be somewhere in the middle – for my anxiety level. So that usually means that it's going to be a relatively close game that we should win. You know, you know what I'm saying? Cause like Oklahoma, we win all the time, but like my anxiety was just that we should win a tight one because we are the underdog. If we're the favorite and I got that little bit of anxiety, we win usually tight. So I'm going, I said in Bosco's boys, 44, 20, but I'm, now I'm thinking about it. Like, I don't necessarily believe that. <laughs> so I'm going to go, I'm going to go 35, 28 to K-State. We've got 35, 28 there from Chef. Matt, hit us with your fireball prediction. <laughs> um. You know what? I'm going to go a little bit opposite of uh, last week in my pessimism. Um, I do think K-State is primed to come from this Oklahoma game and really put on a good performance at home. Um, I am thinking 34-21. So we would cover – it's at eight points right now, um, I think, from what I saw. But um, I do think – the offense is is going to put together a good performance and defensively um, I think we're going to be kind of at our um, kind of middle ground uh, against this Texas tech team. Um, and so I'm feeling pretty confident about this weekend. I'm thinking 34, 21. Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and chime in real quick. My prediction is going to be 35, 21. So not too far off from either of you. I just I'm feeling good about this team. And when we score 30 or more points, we win every game so far this season. So I'm going to go ahead with 3521. We will now go ahead and rotate around the room. I want to go ahead and let Michael McDonald, which is just an all time name. Uh, love the Doobie Brothers, love Steely Dan. I'm going to throw it over to Michael McDonald from 23 Personnel, which is a, a sports drink affiliate, if I'm not mistaken. Go ahead and hit us with your official score prediction there, Michael. Hey, man, I appreciate that. I, I apologize in advance because I do not have the same soulful baritone as uh, the guy that can, you know, sing Yamo be there all night. But uh, I, I kind of wanted to touch a little bit on Tech's defense. I, I do think that Tech's defense is legit. I was a little bit worried going into the Texas game, but they were able to hold Bijan Robinson to, I mean, think barely over 100 yards, and he got 50 of that on two carries. So I know that Deuce Vaughn and I know that Adrian Martinez are really going to test this defense even more, but I just think with the time of possession and the way this goes, I'm going with a little bit more of a lower scoring game. Um, and until Tech can prove that they can get this offense rolling on the road, I'm pretty doubtful. Um, we'll, we'll see what they can do. Like Kyle and Rob were mentioning earlier, they took advantage of the middle of the field a lot more this last game, got the tight ends involved, got Miles Price involved. He had 13 catches last game. No offense, but I think Kansas State's uh, highest catching receiver has 14 on the year. So I think it's going to be kind of a clash of different styles. But with that in mind, I mean, until Tech proves me wrong, I'm going to have them losing. But uh, 
a little bit lower scoring, a little bit more defensive battle, 27-24 type game, taking the under, taking Tech to cover, and kind of like what Kyle said, hoping y'all win every other game. Well, I'll take it. I'll take it. Coley Dub, I know you had some questions for the gambling gauchos, but they did have to run. I don't know if your question is uh, something that you can pose for for Michael here or not, but go ahead and fire away with your prediction. And if if the question is relevant, go ahead and fire away with that too. Um, yeah, so I think I predicted my previous post. I mean, I I don't look into all the analytics or I don't get real detailed in my predictions. Um, but I'm a oh shit, I'm a half glass full type of guy. So I think I went like 38, 16. State. Um, who knows what's going to happen? Um, but my question is very random, very just silly, kind of a fun question. Like, I don't know the history about the whole like throwing motherfucking tortillas onto the field. And I would just love a little more insight, Michael, on how that started, why it started, and just some deep. I mean, I get the whole West Tex, like, I kind of get it, but like, just a little more details on how that whole like throwing tortillas on the field started, if you don't mind, if you have time. Thank you. Yeah. It's one of those things that I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Cause I never actually did that when I was at school there. I, I'm not sure why I never had the urge to sneak them in. It was never a thing that I, I really took part of. I enjoy it. I think it's a fun tradition, but I, I'm pretty sure it was just a random thing in the nineties that kind of took off. Um, it could have been because of something someone said in the national media. And then I think tech kind of responded by throwing tortillas. I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I'm even butchering this whole story, but uh, all I know is it's just not slowing down anytime soon. And I, I know y'all know this, but anytime you come to Lubbock, you or anyone with you or your players tell them never to touch the tortillas, never eat them. You don't know how they got into the stadium. I, I appreciate that, man. I just, I think it's very, it's just very different and unique. Like no other team in the country is throwing tortillas onto the field. And it's, I don't know. I was just very curious about it. Thank yeah, you, probably the proudest moment was on the, on the floor of the Minneapolis for the national championship game. I think a tortilla ended up out there. That's pretty peak. Love it. Zach. Hit us with your prediction, and then we'll move to Ace. And then uh, then we'll do some Bob's Locks and Guys Talking Ball. Dude, uh, you yeah, I, I think I said on. Um, the dings are back. I, I just don't Will know. Will of Fortune, man. Or, I don't know, some game show. No, it's the cam. Sorry. What, are you on only? <laughs> uh, are you on OnlyFans or something? Pause at all, dude. Huh? Am I on OnlyFans? No. No, I said I'm on the cams. Anyways, um, my score prediction is 27-14. Going to stick with that. They could get me closer. Could be worse. I have no idea. <laughs> my my prediction, if it was, is, uh, is it going to be 31-21 favor of the Cats? I think that this is going to be a game that's going to be uncomfortable, and then the Cats pull away with a last-minute score in the fourth quarter. Man, I would I would kill for that, Chef. Yeah, baby, let's let's get to talking your bets because I want to win some money eventually one of these goddamn days. Yeah, one of these days. Yeah, I wish I would have actually talked about the uh, parlay that I had, but I wasn't able to make it for that live show. 
but yeah, Bob's locks this week. I've got 25 bucks to win about 385. So again, keeping it a little bit more conservative this week, but I've got Tulane at Houston. I'm taking Tulane plus two and a half to cover. They're coming off a lost Southern Miss. I think Tulane's a lot better than people crack them up to be, especially because they beat our Kansas State fighting Wildcats. But I'm going with Tulane plus two and a half to cover. I've got K-State money line versus Tech because the spread scares me. We've already gotten one prediction tonight that says Tech's going to lose, but going to cover the spread. So I'm going to take Cats money line there. I'm also going to take Oklahoma at TCU. OU to cover minus six and a half is what I'm seeing, at least on the bet that I placed. So I think, again, similar situation to Tulane. Oklahoma is going to come in. They're going to be pissed off. They're going to go and play TCU. And TCU is going to have their first loss on the season. I, Chef, what I do you gotta, have to say there? I got to get in there for that one. That is Fired up. insane, that line. What Six and I, a half? I mean, Ve- yes, Vegas knows something, but that is crazy. OU is going to kill them, right? I was shocked. I, mean, I was shocked I'm, that it was six I'm, and a half. But TCU's I'm, undefeated. Who TCU's undefeated. Shit. Who cares? They don't play anybody. They the best game that they played was SMU. They suck, kind of, and freaking Colorado. And they're probably one of the worst. Oh, the buffs are. The buffs are Buffalo shit. The buffs are butt. That's what they are. They're awful. And they're awful. It, I I when I saw that line, I almost fainted. I was like, they're gonna lose a so much money. There's no way that anybody's gonna bet TCU to to cover that. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way that OU doesn't cover that game. I think that's an like a absolute gridiron lead pipe lock right there. Uh, I've got Iowa State at KU, Iowa State money line. Again, the spread scares me here. It might still be a close game. I think the last thing I saw was Iowa State was favored by two and a half. And I, I don't know how this game is going to go. It's it's at the booth as much as I hate calling it the fucking booth. It's at the booth. I think Iowa State's a better team than KU. This is going to be the real – This is, I mean, this is really going to be the first test that KU's had all season. We can say all we want about Houston, but I think Houston's stock has significantly gone downhill since that game that they played against Tech, the game that they played against UTSA. I think Houston's not legit. I think Duke is not legit. KU really hasn't played anybody so far. And yeah, they're 4-0. That's great. Jalen Daniels is a September Heisman finalist. But at this point, Iowa State, money line, lock it in. And then the last game that I have on here is Texas A&M at Mississippi State. I've bet against A&M every single game this season so far, but they're plus three and a half to cover at Mississippi State. I just don't think Mississippi State is really even that good. A&M is ranked still somehow. They're coming off a big win against Arkansas that Arkansas, frankly, shot the bed in that game. But I just think A&M is going to cover that. Even if they lose, I think it could be a three-point game. I think that Arkansas game was like a three-point game. So uh, any thoughts from any of the gallery here on Iowa State at KU or A&M at Mississippi State? You know I'll talk, you know I'll talk bets with you all day. All right, nope. <clears throat> that the the if you listen to Josh Pate on the late kick, he loves Mississippi State. And, you know, I don't know what to get from them. They'll throw the ball all over the field. So that that could be a high-scoring game. 
they might be able to run away with it from A&M if A&M doesn't keep pace. So, you know, I that's the only line that scared me of your all your picks. I uh, So, I'm talking about the out-of-state. I think out-of-state covers the uh, minus three just for the main purpose that I mean, if, if Iowa State's going to figure out their offense, this would be the week to do it. And I think I think Iowa State's defense is – their defense isn't as, like, as elite, I would say, as they have been in the past few years, but they're still a good defense. Like, they're always going to be a pretty sound defense. So I think Iowa State can come in and cover. Um, I have actually a few Texas A&M connections down here. Um, like my my best friend and his fiance and some of her like family members graduated from A&M. And it was funny because I was talking to him and we were talking about like the A&M game. I was like, oh, like because when I saw the game, I was like, oh, A&M should easily cover that, right? And because when he saw it, it was like two or two and a half was the spread, and I was like, oh, it's actually or no, it was Mississippi State like minus two, two and a half. And I was like, yeah, they should cover like minus three or whatever, or minus four or whatever it was. And he's like, what the hell? Like it's gone up. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe like Texas name just has a downfall or not downfall, but they just fuck up or something. But I don't know. That's I. That's what I was on. I was on there. I was on his his side there because I was like, surely Texas name doesn't shit the bed again, right? But I don't know. Texas name. Really? Dude, they've so. got the points. They've got the points. So I'm going to take A&M all day if they're going to be right, favored in this. Right. Or if they're, again, if they're the underdog, quote-unquote, in this game. So Right. But, again, Texas A&M is another one of those teams in the SEC. You know, they've been hyped up how many years under what's-his-face now? It's just – Jimbo. It's Jimbo. They're, they're, they're another SEC West team that there's all this hype, and they're going to end up – A&M's probably going to end up another 8-4 and four season or something. So – who knows? And it's it's the Pirates. So like, he and I don't know what he's done at Mississippi State. I think he's been to a bowl game. Has he been in a bowl game consecutively yet? Or I'm assuming so, right? I have no idea. I don't know. Tech beat their ass last year. Cole, are you <laughs> vacuuming right now? Sounds like oh, you're vacuuming. Oh Jesus Christ! You know what's really crazy about that? I'm not vacuuming. It's my PlayStation. <laughs> my I'm not vacuuming, but my. I have an original PS3, like a fat boy original PS3 going on in my room playing a little NCAA 14. That baby is humming. And that that motherfucker is sounds like a jet engine at sometimes. It's humming. She's right a now. humming. She's I'm a not humming even baby. in the same room right now, but you can still hear that. That's insane. Is it a little better now? Like I'm as far away as possible from it. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? I mean, it's oh it's, dude, it's good enough. It's good enough. I'm the one that goes in and edits this shit, so I think I'm it's so fine. Sorry. No, so it does sorry. not matter. It does not matter. It may not even show up in the you, editing, so who knows? I, w- I want Cole in here all the time. Oh, I'm, also, I'm ready to talk some ball. Yeah, dude, no, Cole, dude. I DM'd you after the show last week, I know, and I was like, we, you were missed, man. You were missed. Dude, I fucking am not shitting you. I listened to, like, the first 30 minutes last week, and I passed the fuck out. I, that was the earliest I've gone to bed in probably, like, years. I passed the fuck out last weekend at, like, 8.30, 8.45, and... No, I woke up from messages from you and the good chef. I, I felt so bad. I, I fucking crashed. 
It's all good, baby. I will tell you now that, but yeah, I'll tell you what. Bob's got his locks in, and you know we're surrounded by the boys. Me, Bob, and Matt. We all got around this Ouija board, and we conjured up a name to talk about for guys talking ball. We all put our hands on the little triangle piece, and it's guiding us. It went to the A, went to the L, went to the E, to the X. And we're like, oh, shit, is it going to who we think we're talking? Alex fucking Barnes. I mean, what a legend. What a legend. Who And the connection that he has with, I mean, that was Kleiman's first year would have been his. He could have came back for that year. And imagine the running back room we would have had. I don't know if we would have brought in James Gilbert or or uh, or Brown if we would have if we would have had Alex Barnes. But could you imagine Alex Barnes running in this system that Kleiman had his first year in 2019 or eight nineteen? That would have been insane. Dude, Alex Barnes would have been absolutely wild. And and the fact that he left early for the NFL and then went to the Titans and was only ever a member of the practice squad is such a bummer for me because he had he had the potential and I would have loved to see more of an NFL experience for for Alex Barnes outside of what he already had. Yeah, it hurt, man. That hurt bad. Matt, do you, do you remember uh, Alex Barnes? I mean, you gotta love a guy that wears thirty. How old is Matt? What a if he f- and he's from Alex Pittsburgh, Barnes. Kansas, by the way. Homegrown. <laughs> like, town. what are y'all saying right now? Yo, no, I, yeah, Matt, no, Matt, no, <laughs> yo, no. I, you know, Alex Barnes was. I, I think of all the running backs that. I mean, without dating myself, um, I'm 32. And uh, I didn't get to see much. Casey you literally Fol- just dated. yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know I did. Uh, you know, growing up in New York, I didn't get to watch a lot of K-State football. Um, and so really, you know, kind of mid 2000s, whatever. I grew up, you know, still loving K-State. But I think of all the running backs that K-State's had. And I feel like Alex Barnes is one of those underrated running backs that in the seasons that he played, he did such a great job and just, you know, I, I, 2018, you know, he was first team all big 12 and it makes sense. You know, he was, he was basically, you know, <laughs> he, he was a guy that you could count on on a game to game basis to be effective as a runner. Um, I think of a couple games, one at Baylor, he had 250 yards. Um, and I was at that game. Yeah, that Baylor yeah. game was so freaking fun, dude. Oh, oh so insane. That I mean, incredible game that he had at Baylor. Um, I'm pretty sure at the bowl game, he had a huge game that year, too. But, you know, that 2018 season, he was just dynamic. I mean, he was just such a great player. You know, it was so fun watching Alex Barnes. I think it was the 2018 season we had. um. I think Alex Delton was the quarterback and we were going against Oklahoma and we had, I think we had the lead a lot in that game. They end up coming back and winning, but Alex Delton, Dalton Reisner was lead blocking for him and he bust one right up the middle that shit. And he was hauling ass. It was so fun. But that's like, I think it was like the first play. Wasn't of the, the first play of the game. He took it to the house. No, it wasn't the first play day. He took it to the house, but the first play, I feel like we, 
like ran a sweet play to the outside on the left side of the field, and he just completely mowed some guy down and killed him and was like staring at him and talking shit to the sideline. It was just like, oh, this is the game we're going to have right here. Alex Barnes. Jeff, Jeff, I saw you come off mute. You're from college and Kimball. Go ahead and give your Alex Barnes memories. Jeff! Oh. <laughs> what's up guys what's up, dude? <laughs> uh appreciate it man uh no i loved him he was like i i i hated the fact that we wasted 2017 with him and 2018 really like those teams with him running like we just we we and this was coming off of those years where we were running charles jones and demarcus robinson we were kind of waiting for a bell cow running back to come in and and that dude just comes in and just i mean great combination of size speed and he would drop the shoulder on in like he was a dude he was just a straight up dude i loved him play, loved watching him play loved his running style you talked about that oklahoma game i remember that one so vividly i'm pretty sure it was second play we just gashed him like you said right up the gut and then we didn't give him the ball the rest of the damn game i i remember we ran alex delton probably like 25 30 yep. times so we just refused to give the ball back to bar it was insane no, Another play, another freaking play Alex Barnes made that is like underrated in his career. You remember the fucking KU game when he had to hurdle a guy to get the first down? I think it was on fourth down. Like he just like cuts to the outside and has to hurdle a guy to get the first down. And like that was a tight KU game. I mean, that was a tight one. It was. And I'm pretty sure he drop kicked somebody. Yes, in that. That's, I'm pretty sure he drop kicked Michael Lee later in that game. That was the drop kick game. Oh my god! He, I think he got knocked out by Mark uh, by that Lee kid too later in the game. Like the dude absolutely wrecked Alex Barnes. But I mean, he put his absolute all almost every time that he went out on the field for K State. And like you said in that Oklahoma game, we did not feed him the ball late any time after that game. After he busted that big one. God, man, it was wild. And I think he came in like an athlete. Was he like a linebacker, too, at some point? I feel like he was. Like, oh, God. What a stud, Alex Barnes. He rushed for 2,361 yards in his senior year at Pittsburgh High in Pittsburgh, Kansas. That's 38 touchdowns. 38 touchdowns. It just sucks that, like, what hampered him most as far as like K State fans' memories go is like he was kind of on the downturn of the Snyder years. And that that's what sucks. And that's why I don't think he's really talked about or remembered more. Yeah. And I think to Jeff's point that, I mean, we, we kind of squandered his talent a little bit. If he had been in this climbing offense, it would have been a completely different story. And, and oh, he would have been able to play a completely different role than, than what he played on those teams from what, 2015 to 2018. Cause he could catch the ball at the backfield too. He was so dynamic, big as fuck runs fast, gives it his all. He was like, how did we not convince him to stay? I just don't. It's still baffling. To it just doesn't make any sense to me. I Especially mean, I know when you consider all these guys that like we convinced on coming back for their sixth years with the staff, like getting guys like Huggy Bear to come back and some of the others that we've convinced to stay. Like, I mean, I get Alex Barnes was probably a little like at that point, man. I'm I'm tired. <laughs> I can't I can't take another year in here. And if, if he Dude. feels like he could get to the league, you know, yeah, you I mean, do he was chasing that, that check. He was chasing Harden's that bag back for sure. Nuts. 
is he, and that's what I should have brought up to the Texas Tech guys when they were in here. If you go listen to anything Texas Tech uh, and leading up to this K-State game, do they give so much respect to Eli Huggins? And I am almost certain that if if Eli keeps going on that, he's going to be first team nose guard because you, the guy from Baylor is no one's bringing him up anymore. Maybe he'll maybe he'll have a turnaround season, but Eli is the nose guard in the Big Twelve, and it's kind of crazy. Dude, to think about. he's on another level this year. Just some of the plays you see him make. Like he's got, they're they're athletic plays. It's not just like the simple, the guy runs by you, wrap him up and tackle him. Like he's chasing dudes down and fucking oh, yeah. making plays, man. He fucking broke his face mask in this Oklahoma. That game. was How nuts. Cool he was, was that? so concerned about that. He's like, hey ref, like what the fuck do I do here? And, he's asking the ref like, like the ref is gonna do something. He's out there him. running around like he's got a leather helmet on with no face and, mask from 1940. And, dude, I love that because that would be totally something I would, like, whenever I played football, like, that would be something I would do is, like, hey, guys, like, what the fuck do I do here? I don't, like, stab someone's eye or, like, I don't want to fucking kill someone here with this sharp piece of plastic hanging off my helmet, you know? Like, that would totally, that, I don't know, that would just be something I would absolutely, I'd be freaking out about my face mask being broke. I'd be so concerned about others, like. This is a safety hazard. Can someone tell me what to do as an irresponsible football player? Yeah, the the safety hazards are very real. I I do want to throw it over to Matt real quick. So so fireball, Matt. You said before the show you've got someone who's a friend of yours from some car ride in Norway who has a question for us for the guys talking ball segment. So I want to throw it over to you to tee this up because I have no fucking clue what's happening. Yeah. So. We got a uh, Tyler on here. So quick backstory. So Tyler attended his first K-State football game, first game of the year against South Dakota. But uh, you listened to Cocaine Willie last week on our road trip to Norway. Um, and he has a question for all of us who wants to talk some ball. Tyler, unmute yourself and uh, go ahead and ask. Thanks, Big Cat. Um my question was, who would you say had a better college career in your eyes at Kansas State between Darren Sproles and Tyler Lockett? Jesus. Shit. Not this year, but if you had, if you were the quarterback at Kansas State, would you pick, who would you pick if you had to pick one of them? Darren. Tyler Lockett or Darren Sproles? Do I get the current roster that it is now no, because you know deuces is putting up that so you're not going to pick darren Sproles. so who's right. the roster what's so the roster da- that we have so deuce is gone you just had one pick oh man tyler lockett or darren Sproles in a vacuum god damn that's so tough i mean you would have and oh, damn i mean it kind of it's all contextual for me like how do you what kind of offense am I running? What kind of if there if I had to pick who is the better football player, I'm gonna go with Darren Sproles. Collegiately, he was just he. We didn't see it at K State like we did like Darren Sproles showed in the NFL, but he could catch the ball. And if he did that in college, man, that's a tough ass question. I'm gonna go Darren. I don't know what everybody else is, but Darren was just 
the guy. He was up for Heisman. I mean, he only got like maybe fifth place, but he led the country in rushing. Like that's it also, insane. You're also comparing completely different eras when it comes to college football. I know they overlapped a little bit in the NFL, but you're comparing completely different eras in college football where like Tyler Lockett was going against these flag football air raid offenses basically every single game. And Darren Sproles was going up against more of the traditional, you know, the, the football that we all grew up with in the nineties and two thousands. And it's just, you're comparing two different eras. So if I had to, in a vacuum, pick one over the other, if we're thinking about today's football and today's game, I'm probably going to take Tyler Lockett. But if we're talking about football in 2003, I'm taking Darren Sproles 10 times out of 10. It's just, it's, it's almost like comparing apples and oranges. I, I can't really, but you can compare, really compare apples and oranges. You can, they're both fruit. You can compare them. Which one do you like more? And if you think about it, Tyler Lockett, put, I'm taking Tyler no, Lockett. No, 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 no. An orange is a citrus, you, not a fruit. That's still a fruit. It's still it's a fruit. All it fruit. It's all fruit. It's all West Texas. It's all fruit, y'all. Listen, listen. You can, if, if you're putting it that way, Bob, if you're going to put, like, say you're playing today's game, what we know about Darren Sproles now that he can catch the ball, could you imagine if we put him out in the slot the same way we treat Deuce? He would be insane. He would be insane. Tyler Lockett, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get the deep ball. You're going to get the catches, everything, except for if he's playing Auburn. You're going to get those games from him. Shots fired, by the way. If you're going to get – if you're going to put Darren Sproles in today's game, prime Darren Sproles, the way the offenses and the defenses are played now with the giant gaps and letting him split out wide and catch 100 balls a game – I mean 100 balls a year, dude, give me Darren Sproles. He's dynamic. He's elite. But it just depends on – like I, that's why I was saying you need context because you need to know what kind of system you're running. If we're running that read option – uh like how we're treating deuce yeah but if we're if we're going to sling it like texas tech or oklahoma give me tyler i won that yeah, we, 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 I won yeah that. we no we need we need more opinions we need more opinions and I, I don't view it as an argument so much as a discussion so uh yeah i, I uh fire away i was kind of thinking about this and i agree with chef i mean i think of what Darren Sproles and a 2022 offense would look like and just how, uh, I mean, offenses from 2003 versus 2022 are just completely different, obviously. And the way that you could use Darren Sproles in so many different ways in 2022 is I'm just, it's off the charts. It really is. And not to say that I wouldn't love to have a Tyler Lockett on this specific team, because I do think we need, Somebody if like we're that. picking for this current team, there's no way in I, I hell know. I'm picking Darren Sproles. I, oh, really? Are you, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've got Deuce. I know, I've already I know. got Deuce. No, I don't no, no. have a Tyler Lockett on this team. <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. I Yeah, for this specific team, you would absolutely have to pick Tyler Lockett. But I think in a 2022 year, it, this type of offense, um, I just think of how you could use Darren Sproles in the slot, how you could use him you know, in just so many different ways. I would actually probably pick Darren Sproles. 
I would too. And I, before I think Jeff wants to, maybe Jeff's going to say something, but I want to say this. I'm going to actually argue my own point a little bit because what Matt just said about it's being it's 2022 and you have to think Tyler was, I mean, uh, Darren was playing in 2000 fucking three. That is almost 20 years ago. The, the, Think of the linebackers he was playing against. He was playing against 260-pound linebackers that could barely fucking move. So, like, maybe the competition that he would go against in 2022 would make Darren Sproles look a little bit normal. I'm that's I know that's a little blasphemous, but he the way he was running the running the ball against those guys that he was going against on defense made him look a lot better because they were giant oofs. They were giant fucking flat-footed beasts. Making us all feel old, Chef. I'm not old, man. I'm 35. But <laughs> no, I after watching Darren play as much as I did when I was in high school and right before I went to K-State and everything, man, like I just I, – I, I can't not take him just because – what you guys kind of have already stated here, you know what you have with Tyler Lockett, and it's not like you can necessarily get super creative with the with the receiver. Darren, what Deuce does now is what you would do with Darren, and you you just don't find generational talents like Deuce Vaughn and like Darren Sproles at at running back and guys that are that versatile and dudes that can stay in and pass block and, and just put everybody on skates. Like I have no doubt Darren could still do. Even though, like you, like you said, Chef, guy was going against, you know, the Macavicas of the Nebraska universe and everything. These dudes that are lumbering six two two sixty can't go lateral at all, but still, like Darren could wreck people today. And I, you just don't find guys that can wreck people at the running back position like Darren can. I, I got to take him. It's and Bob said it perfectly. It's so hard to compare eras, man. Like I know it's it's worse in basketball, but freaking football the game has changed so much it it's so weird how how it evolves and we thought for a second the way climbing was bringing back those two linebackers uh, the two tight end sets with a fullback that we were kind of going back to that era but now that Klein is back at, at oc we're kind of being more modern oh. I have something it's like how that. recently someone in in basketball was trying to compare Rolando Blackman to Dean. Wade. That was I asked that question. And I'm like, what? it's just it's impossible. I you can't that, you can't compare the two. I pulled that question and I knew I was going to get some argument. And people were dogging on Ronaldo Blackman like he would never. And I think it was Scott like he was saying that he couldn't play in today's game. I'm like, dude. I mean, it's weird to think that. I mean, he was 175 pounds, but like. He had game, and it's a little easier. And I said it's harder, but it's a little – I'm talking like decades and decades ago because, I mean, guys from the 90s definitely could play in today's basketball. But I don't know. Like Jeff said, I don't know if any linebackers from 2000 or 99 could play linebacker in 2022. I think it's almost impossible. They would have to play like almost a three-tech end D-tackle almost. Not a chance. Oh, question. All I know is we're coming up on uh, we're coming up on close to the hour and a half mark. Cole, go ahead and uh, and get your question in real quick, and then we'll probably wrap it up. Uh, I just saw something on Twitter today, or it might have been from it's someone from Oklahoma. He is one of their main guys talking about how 
the Big 12, every smart football evolution has came from the Big 12, essentially. So, like, it was just discussing about how when is an NFL team going to go three high safety in that three three five defense like the Big 12 has evolved over the past five years or so? I mean, didn't they do it against the Chiefs last year for the first, like, five or six games of the season, which is why we didn't win, like, any of those tough games against, like, the Titans and some of those other teams that we played early in the season there? I have no idea. I mean, probably, but, I mean, you – the thing about the NFL, I know we got to get out of here, but the the minds and the coaching staffs and the people behind that – you you have to have something based in fundamental football. You can't have gimmicks because that gimmick will get turned inside out after six games and it'll get figured out. So if it's not something that's going to stick around for years and years in the NFL, it is it's not going to stay. And I think a three man three linebacker set where you're going to have a hybrid guy playing the Sam linebacker, they're just going to put two tight ends out there or a tight end or somebody out there, a big, big set and just run it down your throat. It, it won't, it won't work in the NFL. These guys are too good. That's fair. I was just oh, no, you're, you're fine, Cole. I was, I was just, that's how I think most of the NFL works is the, they get the gimmicks and they'll figure it out after a couple games and you kind of just have to rely. That's why the, quarter- the college game is more, like the college game is more about schemes and setting your players up because you don't always have the best players compared to somebody else in the NFL. Everybody's all American. Everybody's an all conference player. These guys are the best of the best. So you have, you put your best players out there and you basically tell them go play football and the schemes aren't really important. It's more about getting the ball to the players like how the uh quarterback read game never really took or quarterback read game option game never took off in the NFL essentially on a defensive perspective and there you have it so I think that that rounds it out for all of us here tonight so for all of us here at cocaine Willie to everybody in the live room we appreciate the the uh the participation tonight It's been awesome having you all listening in and contributing for everybody here on the podcast feed as well on Spotify. Thank you. Give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify to be notified when we drop new episodes. And if you're on Twitter, please give us a follow at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually at Bob Trollsby, at Chef Andre Napier, and at Matt Marchesini. Chef, what do you have? Cocaine. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, man. We are all Coke and Mojo. Wildcat Country, let's ride.